The rumors had flooded in from the day prior. No one knew the exact figures yet, but a great many people had been killed. As the man makes his way to work, the tumultuous events of Tiananmen Square weigh heavily on his mind. It's a warm spring morning, and he stops to take off his jacket, then picks up his bag of belongings and proceeds down Chang'an Avenue. As he looks up, he is met with a terrifying sight. A column of tanks coming straight towards him. It isn't fear, but anger that grips him. And that anger drives him to do something he would have never perceived himself doing just a moment prior. He steps out into the road and briskly walks towards the 35-ton piece of machinery bearing down on him and stands stoically in its path. Virtuous Men, a podcast devoted to sharing the lives of men of history, fiction, and today, and the virtues they personify. Welcome to our mini-pod series. In each episode, we'll share a short story of a key virtue and the man who exemplified it. Welcome to episode four, The Resistance of Tank Man, hosted by me, Jamie Adams. A virtue is a behavior one conforms to in order to achieve a moral and ethically principled life through action. A virtuous man is one who is well aware of how he falls short, yet chooses not to allow his flaws to define him as he seeks to better himself. Such men show that it is possible to overcome the things that keep us from achieving our destinies. Though each man is flawed and imperfect, it is in the lives of flawed men that we see the possibility for virtue in our own lives. This episode's virtue is resistance. Resistance is the refusal to accept or comply with something forced upon an individual or group of people, usually by political or military forces. At its core, it is any action that rejects oppression and subjugation and chooses to instead fight for liberty and self-determination. One of modern history's most striking examples of resistance is the image of a young Chinese man standing in the way of a column of tanks in Beijing's Tiananmen Square. Though never positively identified, this young man has been forever known as Tank Man. China is something of an enigma to this day. It is a nation with a long, proud history. This history is broken into three periods, pre-imperial China, imperial China, and modern China. Within the latter period, a leader ruled who shaped modern-day China more than any other man, Mao Zedong. Chairman Mao took power over China after his communist forces won a prolonged Chinese civil war in 1949. Standing on the steps of Tiananmen Square, he declared the foundation of a new nation, the People's Republic of China. From then on, China was subject to an ideology that became known as Maoism, a variety of Marxist-Leninism. Maoism is a communist doctrine seeking to capture control for the state using armed, violent insurgency 
with the peasantry as the revolutionary vanguard. Mao presided over some of the most disastrous policies in human history during his 34 years in power. His so-called Great Leap Forward led to the death by famine of between 15 and 55 million of his own people. His cultural revolution, beginning in 1966, aimed to push forward the social revolution by way of violent class struggle. At the hands of Mao's proclaimed Red Guards, a student-led paramilitary force, numerous massacres occurred throughout China over the next 10 years. Even cannibalism was used to terrorize anyone seen as too traditionalist or capitalist, as in the Guangxi Massacre. Death figures range from the hundreds of thousands to millions. With Mao's death in 1976, the Cultural Revolution faded into a dark Chinese history, and moderation came to exist within the Chinese Communist Party. Massive reforms followed, and by 1981, 7 in 10 farms in China were decollectivized. But as China began to prosper, nepotism and corruption did too. Many of the educated population of China's big cities began to despise this pervasive nepotism. Students unable to find employment formed groups where ideas of democracy and capitalism were spoken about openly. Student groups saw the reforms as going too slowly, while hardliners within the Communist Party saw them as going much too far and pushed for a reining in of control before it was too late. General Secretary He Yaobang was one of the reformers within the party who advocated for political liberalization and a plurality of ideas and freedoms of expression within China. Popular support for He was growing, but on April 15, 1989, He suddenly died of a heart attack. He had been blamed for his soft attitude on political unrest and was forced to resign as general secretary just two years prior, and many believed his death was suspicious. Two days later, students from various universities arrived in Tiananmen Square to honor He in a vigil. As the numbers grew from hundreds to thousands to tens of thousands, the vigil turned into a protest. Tiananmen Square is an absolutely massive area, encompassing almost 5 million square feet. The square is designed to signify the insignificance of the individual compared to the might of the state. So even the mere existence of a protest in the square was a strong message of resistance. Student leadership began drafting up a list of demands for the government, and as the crowd massed around the monument of the people's heroes, it was clear the protest wasn't ending anytime soon. Among the demands were a fast tracking of democratic government, greater transparency for corruption within the party, freedom of the press, and greater funding for higher education. By April 22nd, over 100,000 students had now assembled outside the Great Hall of the People, the site of He's memorial service. The student leaders request a sit-down with Premier Li Peng. This is rejected. Instead, a meeting with the Politburo is called, and the de facto head of state, Deng Xiaoping, is convinced that the real aim of the protests is to overthrow the communist government. Seeing his power in danger, Deng decides to pen an editorial in the state-run newspaper. What would be forever known as the April 26th editorial sparks further outrage with the protesters. 
In the editorial, the students are accused of blatantly violating the constitution and calling for opposition to the leadership of the Communist Party and the socialist system. But the editorial backfires and only ignites more protests throughout China. Deng has plans to institute martial law on May 20th, but the day before, after hearing about the plan, the students plan a sit-down at Tiananmen that draws 1.2 million people. But Deng is unmoved, and as dawn breaks the following day, some 30 divisions, 250,000 men of the People's Liberation Army are dispatched to Tiananmen. But the troops are stopped on their way to Beijing's center by residents pleading with them to turn back. And with orders not to fire on the protesters, the army is powerless and turns back three days later. Now out of options, Deng knows he needs to call in forces from outside of Beijing. These forces would be less likely to have ties to the protesters and would therefore be less sympathetic to their cause. Soon, events in the square would prove just how right Deng's assumption was. Midnight, June 4th. The message spreads fast among the protesters in the square. Troops. Hundreds of thousands of them, all armed with live ammunition. And they're making their way through the Beijing suburbs towards Tiananmen. On the way to the square, Beijing residents again attempt to intercept the approaching troops, but this time they are met with a much harsher response. Soldiers are ordered to fire live rounds into the crowd. As the armored vehicles approach the fiery barricades set up by the residents, they fire indiscriminately at those out past curfew. At 1am, the troops finally enter Tiananmen Square and await orders. They are told not to fire on the protesters, but at the same time are told that no matter what, the square must be cleared by dawn. No exceptions, no delays. Knowing this, the protest leaders hold a vote, a simple stay or go. But even though the stays vastly outweigh the goes, the leadership orders a retreat from the square immediately to avoid more loss of life. As dawn breaks on June 4th, hundreds of people approach the square once more. Believed to be parents searching for their children who were at the protest the day before, they approach tentatively towards the line of armed PLA troops. Suddenly a shout goes up over a bullhorn, warning that at the count of five the order will be given to open fire. The crowd retreats, but for dozens it's too late. The line of soldiers open fire on the civilians and shoot them in the back as they flee. About an hour later, the crowd again approaches and again the soldiers are ordered to open fire. This pattern repeats itself a dozen times throughout the day. It is still unknown how many were gunned down in those 48 hours. But the Chinese Red Cross initially gave a preliminary estimate of 2,600. This was quickly retracted at the behest of authorities. By early morning on June 5th, the PLA had complete control of Tiananmen Square. The protests had been squashed, and tanks now paraded down the adjacent streets to dissuade any protesters still lingering in the area. 
An American journalist peering out of his hotel window notices a column of Type 59 tanks making its way down Chang'an Boulevard towards the square. He raises his camera to capture the moment when something moves into his shot. It's a man in a white shirt, bag in one hand, coat in the other. The journalist sits wide-eyed in amazement as the young man walks directly towards the column of tanks. Suddenly he realizes he's about to watch a man die. But then the tanks slow and come to a stop. He can't hear what's being said, but the young man clearly gestures for the tanks to go back. The tank maneuvers right and then left, but the young man moves into its path again. Then he does the unthinkable. He approaches the tank and climbs aboard using his arms to pull himself up onto the turret. As he appears to shout into any opening available, the hatch pops open and one of the tank crew pokes his head out to confront the man. The soldier seems more amazed than angry. Automatic gunfire can still be clearly heard around the square as the two men briefly converse before the young man jumps back down onto the street. With a burst of white smoke the tank jolts forward but again the young man steps into its path. Eventually several bystanders approach the young man and muscle him off the street and he disappears from view. The Chinese Communist Party offered two options after June of 1989. Look the other way with respect to Tiananmen and promise never to question the one-party system again and will give you economic freedom. Or you can choose to keep fighting for political freedom and Tiananmen will only be the beginning. The Chinese people made this deal with the devil and those in the big cities have prospered beyond belief as the growth in these areas in China has outperformed most of the West. But the same core of the party is still in place. The same leadership that clings to power at all costs. The same leadership willing to lie and sweep truths under the rug for the sake of the party and the expense of the individual. But even though those that perpetrated the bloodshed at Tiananmen have gone unpunished, the symbol of Tank Man and his actions on June 5th, 1989 still stand out today. Some say he was executed by Chinese communist hardliners shortly afterwards. Others claim he escaped to Taiwan where he remains to this day. No one has ever been able to put a name to this tank man. But perhaps that is the beauty of it. He doesn't need a name. His symbol of resistance against the brutality unleashed on his countrymen by their own government still speaks for itself. Perhaps as the protesters returned to their normal lives, broken by the failure of their cause, Tankman gave them the hope they needed to not give up on freedom someday in the People's Republic. Although the Chinese government continues to censor all images and video of the incident, this one man's act of defiance to the draconian measures taken by government forces is an inspiration to all men to stand up boldly and unrelentingly against all forms of authoritarianism.
This episode of Virtuous Man was written and recorded by me, Jamie Adams, and edited by Scott Einig. The details of this story were sourced from the PBS Frontline production, The Tank Man. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and a comment wherever you're listening. And follow us on our Instagram page at virtuous underscore man for more stories of virtue like this one. Join us next time for Minipod Episode 5, The Passion of Wilson Bentley.